bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. Hi, everyone. This is David Cerns with Haley Marketing, and we are very pleased to welcome you to another live podcast recording session from Staffing World 2021 in Denver, Colorado. Like our first live episode with Bradley Block from Staffing the Universe, this episode is filled with fantastic advice and a bit of mixed sound quality. So please pardon our remote recording rookie mistakes and enjoy this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success, where we chat with Amy Lynn and John Reed McDonald from Pride Staff about their innovative views on talent and technology, the best ways to work with temporary associates to really increase retention and referrals, and a few reasons why you should, as a member of the staffing industry, be really proud of what you do. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. Earlier this year, back in August, Haley Marketing celebrated our 25th birthday. And as part of the celebration, we did what we do best. We gave away lots of ideas. We had a special event called the Smart Ideas Summit. And over seven hours, we had 14 presentations by the industry's leading consultants, sharing ideas on strategy, sales, recruiting, operations, and of course, marketing. And good news, we recorded everything and made it free to watch. You can check out all of the recordings at haleymarketing.com forward slash 25 bash. Again, that URL is haleymarketing.com, the number 25 B-A-S-H. We hope you enjoy our birthday present to the staffing industry. Hey, David, this is awesome, right? Their first podcast from Staffing World. First time ever. We'll see how this goes. We apologize if there's any background noise because there's a lot going on here. Uh, we are thrilled to be here at Staffing World. Uh, it's an amazing conference. Great to be back in person again. And yes, you're right. It's just kind of awkward being live, and everything else going on. So no pressure on our first guest, but it's all up to them whether or not the show makes it. Uh, I heard they're setting the bar high. So. I did hear that. <laughs> All right, well, with that, we'd like to welcome our guests from Pride Staff. We've got John Reed McDonald and Amy Lynn, and we're here to talk about the staffing industry. Imagine that. So we'd like to kind of kick things off. If Maybe, John Reed, for you, tell us a little bit about Pride Staff for people who are not familiar with the organization. Sure. Uh, Pride Staff is a company that's based in Fresno, California. Uh, we've been in business for over 40 years now. Uh, we are uh, primarily in the light industrial space and commercial staffing, but uh, we also uh, do quite a lot of business in office clerical, uh, finance and accounting, uh, as well as professional staffing services through our GA Rogers division, as well as other specialty divisions like RX Relief, Insurance Relief, and Pride Staff Financial. Excellent. So thinking about this rather unusual set of circumstances the past few years, what's been the greatest challenge that Pride Staff has faced? Yeah, I would say Pride Staff, uh, and you mean specific to COVID and... Yeah, and, 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 and all things related to it. I'm trying never to use that word again. I understood. I used the, the yeah, the bad word. Sorry. 
Um, I would say that what we've learned is that we had to take a look at the the sacred cows, for lack of a better term, uh, things that uh, were things that we just didn't want to necessarily broach. Um, a good example is remote work was something that we weren't really excited about uh, staffing prior to uh, everything going on. Uh, we were able to quickly, I'm going to use my first cliche, pivot um, mm-hmm. as uh, we needed to. And our, our appetite uh, for that type of work broadened uh, in large part due to uh, the other guest on this podcast, Amy Lynn and her office. And, and they really led the drive on that uh, and, and really um, demonstrated how to do it well. So that's one example. Uh, flexibility with our internal workforce uh, has been a, a big part, allowing a much more flexible hybrid schedule uh, in many cases coming out when initially when everything went to heck in, in March of 2020, uh, everything shut down and we went home just like everybody else. And that's where we had to work from, except for a few very critical uh, departments that could not work from home. So learning how to adapt to keep things the way that they were before um, that were that were positive, but also to adapt uh, to the new ways of doing things, uh, I would say is one of the bigger things. Do you think your business is positively influenced or negatively influenced? I do. I do. And I, the very positively, I'm sorry, positively influenced. And we had a speaker that talked about uh, at, at this convention mm-hmm. about you're so used to doing things if you're right-handed, you get really good at doing things with your right hand. And when you get out of your comfort zone and you have to do things differently, it's almost like being forced to do everything with your left hand. And if you really focus in on that and you get better and better and better at doing things that way, you come out of this experience ambidextrous and you can do things with either your right hand or your left hand. So um, we definitely believe that we're stronger. Uh, we think that that the changes it, 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 as, as it relates to competing within the staffing industry, it's not so much the changes that are going to impact how successful we are because every single one of our competitors is dealing with the exact same uh, playing field. The question is how effectively do we uh, change and how quickly and how effectively do we execute on those changes? It almost, I feel like it almost amplifies what you're good at and what you're not good at. (laughs) Right. Do you see that? I do. I do. So I think that if your company had some pretty significant cultural issues uh, going into um, the word that we'll never speak again, um, <laughs> going into that the COVID period, if you had cultural issues, it really sh- uh, shined a spotlight on them and they become much more evident and much more apparent and they were much uh, more difficult to hide. So mm-hmm. I think that if you, yes, I think that the, the best rose to the top, I think that if you had any inherent underlying challenges, they were just that much more exposed. Samuel, let's, uh, let's switch a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your role within Pride Staff. And then I want to go back to what John Reed said, talking about bringing in remote as part of your services. I want to hear more about that. My role is a strategic partner within the Pride Staff system. I've had my franchise in Dallas for the last 22 years. And um, this was a unique opportunity. You're talking about remote work for our clients, but also for our small team and leading a team through those changes and having to be very transparent in the fact that no one was really prepared to lead uh, a team, manage a business through that timeframe and just embracing that it was gonna be fluid, it was gonna be uncomfortable um, and really leaning on each other for good ideas and um, new best practices. And then how could we bring those to our clients who were also struggling with the exact same challenges? How do you not only interview remotely, onboard, onboard to culture? I mean, I think that's been the biggest challenge and train. 
train effectively in a remote um, capacity. So those were all things that I feel like we learned internally at the same time we were helping our clients face those challenges. It's like teaching and staying one page ahead. (laughs) Are you back in the office or are you um, still remote? We are um, hybrid. So we are working through um, having a volunteer um, in office presence. We've worked out schedules that'll work for each individual's team, their, their own personal, um, situations that they're working through. So, um, and, and we can't assume that running back to the office is going to be the best solution yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't assume that what worked before is going to work now. I don't know that there's a new normal. I don't think there's a return to normal. I think this is just um, brand new for all of us, the next yeah. next level. Another cliche that the only constant is change. And I think it feels like workforce changes permanent for us. You said something really interesting, talking about your, having to help your clients learn to hire remotely, onboard remotely, train remotely. Is that becoming just a complementary service you provide along with your staff? Are you actually finding opportunities to teach clients how to do better remote management? Uh, both. Uh, and they're teaching each other. We've been able to facilitate roundtables with some of our clients that are in similar spaces where they could come together and say, this worked, this didn't. Uh, maybe we could come up with you know, stage two, version two together and work through um, some of the great ideas and abandon some of those that, that didn't work. So I'd love to get some feedback from both of you. So one of the things that I've seen is that obviously COVID has changed how companies work. It's also changing how companies structure work. Meaning I'm gonna do some in office, I'm gonna do some remote, I may do some offshore. To see that there's an opportunity for staffing companies to play the role of, as a workforce solution provider, orchestrating how that work gets done. So you're doing more than just filling positions, you're actually advising your clients. Yeah, I think that it, it starts internally. Uh, I think that we had to to figure that out ourselves, uh, first of all. So I think that, um, it, it, I'm going to go back to what you said a minute ago about how things are, are changing. One thing from a, a leadership perspective is, I think it forced a lot of leaders through this period to, to acknowledge, I don't know what to do right now. I, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, we have to look at the situation that we're in we have to confront the brutal reality of, of where we are and we have to make a decision and move forward. So a lot of it is, yes, we can go in and we can try to prescribe solutions uh, for our clients, but I think where we are best served is to go in, understand their business model, getting them to understand what's possible through a staffing company and, and the part that we can play. But it's really going to be up to them uh, given their their unique circumstance and their workforce and how they're going to adapt it. But I think that we can be a great facilitator of that conversation because I think quite frankly, those leaders in those companies, they have no idea. And I think it'd be a bit presumptuous to go in for us to try to prescribe a solution rather than trying to, again, give them a framework within to think and what part we can play in that. That's great. Amy, you mentioned that you have groups of um, clients coming together to share information? Was there anything specific that you can give us an example how that fits in? 
Uh, one example of was with our call center clients. And I mean, traditionally you'll see, uh, you can picture a call center and see the sea of cubicles and see how tightly spaced those employees are. And so that's a unique challenge. It's a unique challenge, not only to spread them out within the facility, but to take them remote if they've not had that philosophy before. And one thing I think um, became very clear in having this conversation, facilitating this conversation with our clients, and to John Reed's earlier point, not a single one of our clients saw eye to eye on what was going to be um, the best way to bridge the gap that they were now facing. So some of them were bringing in uh, smaller groups for training, and then um, at a certain level of performance, allowing them to work from home. Some of them were just spacing them out within the facility uh, and training smaller groups when they did have to be uh, side by side. So there, there were so many different solutions to the same problem. Uh, I believe what John Reed said earlier was absolutely right. We, we can't assume that we're going to know how to meet their individual needs without first understanding what their philosophy is on whether you're leading um, people or whether you're leading activities um, and, and some companies prioritize them differently. Mm -hmm. That's great. I want to pivot a little bit. So being in staffing world here, uh, it's not a surprise that the uh, topic, hot topic of conversation, they say there's two of them, reading challenges and technology. So let's, let's, I know you guys do a lot in both areas. So let's talk a little bit about recruiting challenges because I think that's what everybody wants to hear about is how are you solving pride staff recruiting challenges? I can answer um, for our culture, I, the culture we've created within pride staff, I think that we're having um, an easier time of that um, in the sense that we've created community with our candidates and we have um, strived for a very long time to have employee referrals be our number one source of candidates that we place for our clients. And that has helped us tremendously through this time frame. I think we've already embraced the idea that we have to value people more and we've had uh, strategies and actions in place that help us to accomplish that goal. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that this isn't a unique recruiting environment. I'm not trying to say that we have access to talent, you know, our competitors don't, but I think we have such a leg up in the fact that that's part of our DNA. And um, we are helping our clients then to um, implement some of those strategies internally to, to help them along that path as well. I really like the first thing you said there about we're building community with our candidates because so often, unfortunately, if you look at the reputation of our industry, we treat the candidates as a commodity. And if we don't make people feel special, why are they going to feel special about our organization and submit referrals? Um, yeah, and if I may, to, to add on to Amy's point, I, 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 wanna, I want to uh, give her a lot of credit because she is one of the, um, the, the primary leaders and drivers in our organization of that candidate experience. And promoting things like employee referrals and her office is exceptional at that. So well, she's being a little bit humble when she says that it's not as big of a challenge for them as others. It's, it's not by accident. It's because of what they do. Um, I would take a little, uh, just a little bit different um, tact on that, if that's okay. Um, yes, uh, we are, you know, of course getting, um, I don't say more, but paying attention to where the new recruiting sources might be coming from, going to employee referrals, passive recruiting, all that stuff. But I think that where we have thrived 
is we haven't taken our foot off of the sales gas pedal. And, and I'll tell you why, because if you're an office and you have 50 open job orders right now and you have 10 candidates, you might think to yourself, well, my gosh, why am I going to go sell and get more job orders when I only have 10 candidates? Well, good gosh, think about it. If you have 100 job orders, your likelihood of placing one of those 10 people is double. So we believe that you can sell your way through this as well by bringing on as many job opportunities as possible to match the candidates that you do have, um, as well as marketing the candidates that you have. It's really easy to sit back and lament and complain about the candidates you don't have. Why don't you focus on the ones you have and try to market them to companies in town that, that have a need for what they do? You're preach, uh, preaching to the choir, huh? Yeah, very much so. That's, that's something that, uh, I don't know, Vicki got it in her training as much as I did because my parents had the staffing company. But what my dad always said is if, if you have a shortage of candidates, you need more job orders because every placeable candidate needs a home as fast as possible. Correct. What do you do in that situation, though, with setting expectations with the clients? You have a lot of clients that you're not filling the job orders and they're upset with you. Well, I think it, it, you just said the word, it's expectations. So if you have an upset client or an upset candidate or an upset spouse, for goodness sakes, it's all about emotions and expectations. So uh, the two E's. So I think what you need to do with a client, it, it, and it, it also ties into um, the percentage of placements that end well. That's a metric that we, we look at. That number significantly down, but it's because clients are willing to take on a candidate that doesn't have all five skills that they want. They have one or two and they're willing to take a risk and they're, they're okay if it, if it doesn't work out. They're, they're willing to take that shot. So it's just exactly what you said. Talk to the client ahead of time. Um, explain to them, yes, thank you for the opportunity to fulfill this order. We're feeling the same recruiting challenges you are. Uh, we believe we have unique ways to attract candidates and, and fill your position, but I don't want to promise you that we're going to find you the exact right person by tomorrow. That, that's setting us up for failure, and it's, it's setting you up for disappointment. So uh, I think it's being very transparent and candid with them. Um, that's what I believe. And I can add another E to that. I think it's also educating. We talk to so many candidates all week long. I mean, hundreds of candidates every week. And we're learning what it is today's workforce is valuing most. And I think um, our clients don't have that quick access to information, um, you know, right from the root. So being able to let them know that remote work is important for a number of reasons um, and that, um, gosh, salaries are really skyrocketing. And I think that piece of education has been the most helpful in helping our clients meet the demand that they have. Are the clients in denial about the reality of the labor market and the cost of hiring? Uh, denial? <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I think it's just bringing them up to speed with, with how quickly things have changed. It's very easy to, um, and for a very long time, I thought the same thing. We're, we're going to get back to where we were. And the reality has gradually set in that we're just going to continue to accelerate at this pace. And so to keep up and what many of us and our clients want to do is get ahead, you have to um, accelerate at a faster pace. Yeah. And I would, I would say along with that, it also, when, when you're asking about being in denial, I, I think nobody's in denial. I think that a lot of folks that we're talking to are sometimes handcuffed uh, in terms of the pay rates. And it really depends on who you're speaking to. So if you're talking to somebody at the, at a client who is a part of a fortune 500 company, and they're one of, you know, 72 locations across the U S they can tell you and we hear it. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I have to raise the rates $2 an hour. I don't have the authority to do so. So I think when you're when you're going directly to the source, especially with smaller to medium sized companies, 
when you're talking to the people that can make that change, they certainly understand it. But a lot of our clients are, are handcuffed. How do you deal with that? Well, it's, it's education. It's also offering to uh, speak to give them, give them relevant resources. You know, we have uh, economic data. We have um, all sorts of analytics that can show uh, what is the current market wage for what they're looking for. We try to arm those clients with as much information as we can for them to share with whoever it is that they need to share that information with. Uh, we'd also be more than willing to be involved in that conversation. Uh, we're not always welcome to that table, and that's okay, but we want to give them as much info as we can. That's great. I think staffing companies, um, you get to see into hundreds of different companies. You get to see their culture. You get to see the problems. You get to see who, you know, the same thing with candidates. You talk to so many job seekers. You have so much knowledge that you should be invited to that, te- that table to have those conversations. And then using that information as a differentiator for your company, and that's huge. It's funny. I heard a story yesterday from someone here at Staffing World, and he was telling me about a franchise, not staffing, in his community was a retailer, and they were having a really hard time, not surprising, finding people to work in the store. Uh, in preparation for the grand opening, they did everything possible to staff the store. The store ended up staying open for one day. The very first day of operations, income customers, who actually all turned out to be other employers, questioned the people working in the store, what they were making, offered them all a wage increase and recruited away 100% of their staff the first day. Those companies you were talking about that need to see the data, they also need to understand that if they ignore the data, their business is at risk. And you don't want to be saying like, well, I'm going to recruit out of your company because you're not. But at the same time, someone will. Mm -hmm. And I think it it can be hard to be the bearer of that bad news, but that's the reality of the marketplace. And I think in the example that you just gave, that employer didn't yet have a chance to anchor in their team members with other strategies. Yes, we're in the middle of a wage war, but where we have um, success in retention with our clients, it's because they understand that's only one component um, of, of what candidates value today. And it's a lot more about not just the cliche of culture, um, you know, the, the pool tables and, you know, the chair massages and um, those type of perks, but also that uh, how they treat their employees, how they value the people that uh, make up their organization, that has been um, a strategy that is anchored in employees, even in the midst of this wage war. So I think that that poor example, uh, um, they didn't have that opportunity, but I think many businesses do and they can win on another front, even if they're handcuffed by a budgetary constraint. Absolutely. Yeah, and you said culture. I mean, that, that's such a good point about the, the pool tables or all the pop tarts you want, you know, in the morning. That's easy. The hard work is actually creating that culture that include that uh, has inclusion and involvement. And, and quite frankly, what you've done an awesome job in your office at. That's hard work. You know, the other stuff is window dressing at best. Thank you. So that's, that's, that's a great place to pivot a little bit. I mentioned that two things we're seeing here in the Expo Hall, recruiting challenges and technology. And I'm seeing a lot of people looking at technology, particularly automation tools, which could dehumanize staffing business and get away from that building culture from showing people their value. What's your take on all this new technology? Because you guys have been an early adopter of a lot of great things. 
I think it's both. I, I don't, the, with all the technology that's available to us today, our competitive advantage remains the way that we make people feel. Um, so we have to employ um, our bots that help us with recruiting. We have to use um, our app that's going to make us uh, more accessible to candidates and to clients. But none of that matters if you're not creating an experience that makes them feel a valued member of your organization and, and helps to create that community I was talking about earlier. So it's um, it's not, not an either or and uh, technology will never replace the the innate, uh, you know, human skills. I want a billboard. It just says I that. Know. It's just like, it's not about the technology. It's about the experience and how you make people feel. That's awesome. Well, I think it's because people are so overwhelmed right now that they they look to technology to be the instant solution to whatever problem they're having. And I think that, you know, technology, yes, of course, plays a very important part in employee engagement in, um, gosh, men, uh, monitoring customer loyalty, uh, uh, talent loyalty, all of that. But it's one small part of what we do. And I think that we fall into that trap again of trying to look to, to technology to solve all the problems when not every problem has a technological solution. It could be an efficiency problem. It could be a relationship problem. It could be a, um, a culture problem. And I think that we also fall into the trap when it comes to technology because we say, oh my gosh, look at all these millennials out there and they love technology. Well, we paint people with too broad a brush in forgetting that millennials are, some are 23 years old and they haven't left the house yet. And some are 40 with kids and two mortgages. I mean, they're all over the board. So if, we, if that becomes our primary focus, we get off of exactly what Amy talked about which is the timeless things like that connection, um, that culture, that feeling of belonging, inclusion, all of that. So um, I would say, I would just caution people, yes, technology is important, but don't look for it to be the solution to every problem you have. I think technology has become like the magic bullet. Like we want, this is going to be the thing that's going to solve all our problems, but at the end of the day, and I think I say that every, every single podcast this is a people business and we need to be human centric and we need to bring a lot of empathy to what other people are going through and solve their problems. That's what we're here for. All of us, whether we're in the marketing side or the staffing side. Yeah. And the stuff, the thing about technology is it's wonderful until it doesn't work. And then, then they need a human to solve the problem right now. Right. And I was very inspired by the keynote presentation this morning from the CEO of AMM. And she was just talking about really it was the empathy that you just mentioned, but it's, it's seeing the world through other people's eyes and whatever you've gone through in the past 18 months is not the experience that someone else has had. And it's, it's harder than ever to put yourself mentally into their shoes. Maybe they had a relative who got sick or passed away. Maybe they lost a job. Uh, maybe this is the best time they've ever had their career because they had the opposite effect. You just don't know. And we tend to try to paint everybody with the same brush. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to build a strong culture, I really have to know to get the individuals. And so this, this morning's keynote I thought was great and gave me a lot of homework to go through. On that, one more thing is I think that, as you mentioned, the, the technology dehumanizing and, and uh, eliminating a lot of that interaction between our talent and us is back to the point of empathy. I think we forget sometimes that our employees and oftentimes, oftentimes are one paycheck or one incident away from catastrophe in their life. And um, if their car breaks down, you know, if our car breaks down, you call AAA, you get a tow and, and you, it, it's no problem for our candidates when they have that problem, their whole entire life falls apart. And if everything is done through an app, it's very difficult to understand what's going on with their life as a human being and be able to convey that back to your client and say, look, here's the situation. Here's what's going on. 
to get that empathy, empathy and almost be a champion for your candidate for the, the client to have more understanding as well. That's all gone. And I think it's important to remember that. Sure. Because it just looks like a no-show otherwise, right? Correct. Yeah. All right. I know we promised you we wouldn't keep you here all afternoon because I know we could talk all afternoon. <laughs> Let's talk about staffing rule. You guys are here. There's a lot of people who are going to listen to this who are not here. What do you like about this event? This is the first year I have attended Staffing World, and it won't be the last. I think um, there's high value in um, the resources that ASA has brought to us, and I think there's a higher value in being able to network with your peers, with everybody that makes up the staffing industry, not not just, um, you know, we could be very egocentric and say it's, <laughs> it's all about um, the staffing providers, but there's, there's so much more that you can learn, um, you know, from the networking events and from the peer-to-peer -peer conversations. So high value. Yeah, I think for me, um, uh, the American Staffing Association does a really great job at taking it beyond how to staff better, how to be a better staffing company. Um, they bring in a lot of the human elements of what we do and remind us of that. And they also do an excellent job of reminding us all that we're in a very noble business. And I, I cringe when people um, have negative things to say about the staffing company or use the word headhunter in a negative capacity or negative uh, way. Because, you know, every person that we put out to work is somebody that either didn't have a job or really didn't like the one they had. So by getting people and providing them more meaningful work, that's an impact on their uh, on their health, on their family, on everything that they do. There is nothing more noble than what we do on a daily basis. And we get reminded of that when we're here and we're surrounded by literally um, over a thousand people that do the same things that we do. And it's just very, very invigorating. And if you only had to attend one session, I think this morning you brought up the keynote speaker, but just prior to that, they had awarded the um, ASA Temporary Employee of the Year and hearing it from her and the impact on her life, uh, I, I felt so proud uh, knowing that that's replicated thousands of times over the entire country all year long. And that's, that's the impact of our industry. And what you said, you know, just started getting very, very emotional. She said, someone took a chance on me. Mm -hmm. Someone believed in me. And you said, John Reed, the, the people who are you know, sometimes a paycheck away from a tragedy, or one incident away from a tragedy, excuse me, those people very often don't feel appreciated uh, in their workforce, in their work environments. They're very often more a cog in the machine than a valued resource. And for our industry to put the talent first, demonstrate we care and show these people, yes, you're appreciated. Yes, we can help you solve the challenges in your life. Yes, we can help you do what matters most to you. It's, it really is inspiring. So, I, mean, I totally agree with you. It drives me nuts when people knock the industry because they don't understand what this business is really all about. That's great. I think it provides a lot of dignity to the people that we place. And I think that's so important. And I don't, I don't know that we talk about it enough, but being able to have a job and a career and be able to provide for yourself and your family is just so important to who you are as a human being and contributing to society. And I don't, and I think the staffing industry is all about that. All right. Besides the education, my last question, what's your non-education favorite part of staffing? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, well, selfishly, it's getting to uh, spend time with my colleagues like Amy Lynn, who's in Dallas, Texas. I'm in Fresno, California. Uh, it brings us together. Um, and I'd say just experiencing, you know, great, unique, uh, unique venues. I mean, we're at the, the Gaylord 
center in Denver, Colorado. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't can't think of a reason that I would have come here otherwise. <laughs> it's okay not to know. You can say that. <laughs> maybe there's parties and stuff tonight, so maybe it'll be one of those. Or you can just come hang with us at our booth. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you both for making the time to speak with the two of us. We really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with our audience on Secrets of Stabbing Success. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you both. So, Big, I hope you enjoyed that talk. I've, I've known John Reed for a long time. I've known Amy Lynn for a long time. I think it was the first time you've gotten an opportunity to speak to the two of them in person with just two of the most wonderful people. But I'd love to know your thoughts. What were some of your takeaways from our conversation? Well, first of all, you're right. Like really nice people, very humble. And it's it's great to talk with people of their caliber. Um, I think for me, the t- biggest takeaway was towards the end when John Reed was talking about how the staffing industry creates so much opportunity and is such a wonderful. And I don't remember his exact words, but it brings so much and we're making such a positive impact on the world and on individuals. And and then Amy Reed was talking about the um, National Staffing Employee of the Year. I think Suvak Kianitz, and I probably messed up her name, but her story was just so touching. And, and, um, you know, someone took a chance on her and now she's living her dream living her career, starting a small business, and just amazing. And that's because of staffing. Yeah, and it, it really dovetailed nicely with what Amy said, that you know, in her business, her number one source of talent are referrals. But it's not because she has some incredible referral bonus program. It's because she focuses on culture. And she looks at her associates, or temporary workers, as part of her team. And she tries to create an experience that's tailored to each individual she used the phrase, which is part of their mission statement, to experience that they value most. Um, but she really believes in making everybody feel special, feel pride, enjoy the experience of working with her pride staff office. I, I absolutely love that. Yeah, she, I think she said um, creating a community with her candidates and valuing people more. Such a great statement, valuing people more. Um, what do you think about John Reed's take on technology? Because I know... Text one of your things, and you're looking to do a lot of automation in our business. So I think you had a very unique take on technology. What do you think? Well, I think you have to keep in mind that technology is a tool. It isn't the magic bullet. It's not going to solve every problem. It's not, you know, and it should be used to augment how we talk and work with people. So that's our business. So it doesn't need to dehumanize it can be used to augment and it can be used to help out. But at the end of the day, you're working with a person and you need to be empathetic to their challenges, their needs, their desires, and their situation. And you can't do that just through technology. And I totally agree with that. Absolutely. So I've got one last takeaway from my side. And anytime somebody quotes something that my mom or dad said when I was growing up, always makes me smile. So when John Reed talked about the fact that this almost unprecedented time of talent shortages when recruiting is so hard, it's time to go and sell more. And I can't remember how many times my dad said that to the people in the office or at home over the dinner tables, like we have to be selling more because every baseball candidate we have, we have to find an opportunity for that individual as quickly as possible. So uh, I love the, the, sh- the accidental shout out to mom and dad it makes me feel kind of special. Absolutely. I think, you know, 
he, he, we talk about marketing in a recession, marketing a downturn, marketing through this pandemic, through this um, recruiting challenge right now. That's so huge. And we, people forget it, but those people that don't market get forgotten and they get lost in this, in this system. And, you know, it's so important and it's a marketing podcast. So you should expect that we're going to say you need to be marketing more. But any, and, and I think Thing that both of them said is the marketing and, and technology for put that together it's going to have to be about the experience that's a mix of digital it's a mix of in-person in the real world and you have to think about where are all the different places that my clients my candidates I, I can most effectively engage with them so that they're having the experience with our company that makes them feel good about us because so much of marketing isn't just the logical we're better at you because we do this it's the, I really like your organization. It's the relationships that you always talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's one more thing that I need to bring up is the community that um, Amy Lynn was talking about creating with her clients so that they could share information. So the call center example that she talked about and how there was the same problem across all these different companies, but different solutions to that problem and, and being able to share and talk about that in a community setting. I mean, it's a different kind of marketing, I suppose, but it is marketing, I guess. Yeah, I, I've not heard anyone before talk about I'm building a community with my candidates. I've heard about people building Clients. talent communities, yeah. but not that their own associates, field employees are really that part of the community that they're focused on. Well, so, she, and she was also doing with the clients. So it's both sides. Yeah, you're right. With when, when she was talking about the getting together to share best practices on remote management, the fact that the clients are confused. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to deal with this work. Everybody's in sort of uncharted territory. Yeah. I and mean, then as a staffing company, you get to see so many different companies and you get to um, experience different cultures and different ways of solving the same problem. You bring that to your each individual client, all that knowledge. So don't forget that that's a huge, that's a huge selling differentiator. Absolutely. So we did it. We've now done our first live show which I'm happy that we're doing this on a podcast so you can't see what we look like because it was <laughs> so awkward sitting here doing it. But uh, it was a fun experience. We'll look forward to doing some more while we're here at Staffing World. Come by and wave if you're here. <laughs> and if you're not and you're listening to this after the show, uh, we'd love feedback. So give us a review. Uh, send us an email and tell us what you'd like to see us do better, do more of, do less of on Secrets of Staffing Success. And from both Vicki and I, I want to thank you for listening to today's show. Thank you.